Welcome back to I'm Open Podcast. We've got a very special episode coming up with Bob Weiler. He's telling us about the time he had a run-in with the Secret Service. We're also going to be talking about a Philadelphia man who thinks he can catch babies better than Nelson Aguilar can catch the football and a soccer star who got very up close and personal with his fans. All this and so much more coming up next on I'm Open Podcast. I'm Open Family. We are so blessed today to have here with us live in studio the best three-point shooter I know, a Central Ohio legend, the Bexley Senior Doubles Champion, and the most brilliant person I've ever met, Mr. Bob Weiler. Thank you so much, Bob, for being on the show this morning. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate that accurate introduction. Absolutely. I know you've been a big fan for a while listening to the show, and we just always like to give back here. I'm Open Podcast. We love to give back to our loyal fans here in the I'm Open family, and uh, sort of not quite like Make-A-Wish Foundation, but something like that to let like the folks like yourselves uh, who really look up to us come on the show and, and, and participate and share their own experience and expertise. So it's great to have you here today. It's great to be here, David. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, and I hope it's the first of many visits for you on the podcast. Absolutely. So we're going to go right into it. I've got a lot of great topics for us to discuss today. I know you personally raised four wonderful children and helped raise many grandchildren and other people who aren't didn't necessarily blood-related to you. So I want to focus in on the parenting tactics of one Kobe Bean Bryant, the Black Mamba. Now, he is retired. Kobe is no longer playing, obviously, for the Lakers, but he still is a very competitive guy. And he has now focused his competitive fire into coaching the team of his young daughters. He's got two daughters. And I think they're about 10 or 11 years old. They play on like an AAU travel basketball team together. So last year, their team only lost one game. And this year, they came back, they got revenge, and they beat that same team by 90 points. Now, do you think that Kobe, and Kobe posted online, he as bragging basically about this, saying, my girls lost to this team last year, we promised we wouldn't let that happen again, and we came back this year and we crushed the girls by 90 points. Do you think Kobe is taking it too far by crushing a youth girls basketball team by 90 points? Or do you think it's good that he's instilling the sort of competitive fire in his daughters, the same competitive fire that he had when he was performing for the Lakers? Yes, to the first part. He's carrying it way too far. Uh, What's sports all about? Winning is important, but do you win with the idea that you want to humiliate your opponent, that's that's not what winning's all about. Winning should be, I would hope, something that's number one, fun and enjoyable. And secondly, you're building some kind of camaraderie or some kind of uh, well-being. But when you have opponents, you need to respect your opponents. You're mm-hmm. not respecting your opponents when you beat them 90 to nothing. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I... You know, I grew up with a lot of awesome female athletes, um, great basketball players especially. So I can relate to Kobe's experience, right? And I feel like the way we coach boys often in youth sports is different from the way we coach girls. They tell boys, be aggressive, go out and rip their head off, no mercy. 
And why shouldn't girls be allowed to rip somebody's head off too? I mean, Kobe, obviously that's his personality. He played like with a killer. He probably would have ripped somebody's head off if he could have during his career. He really had no mercy and he loved to embarrass his opponents. So maybe it's just equal opportunity aggression that he's training his daughters to, to go out and have revenge and really embarrass the hell out of these girls. Even though, yeah, is it? Are they nine years old? Do they need to lose my 90 points? That might be a little... David, I don't think you even believe in what you just said. <laughs> you you have to be a real devil to advocate what you said. But what, but, but what, what you reminded me of yeah. is Woody Hayes, who okay. is a legendary coach. Love and him. of course, as you know, I'm a big mm-hmm. Ohio State fan. Mm-hmm. And our big rival is Michigan. Yeah. And many years ago, when Woody was coaching, and Ohio State was beating up on Michigan. Mm-hmm. And the two-point conversion had just come into play Uh well Ohio State was way ahead it was at the end of the game and so Mm -hmm. Ohio State had 48 points I think Michigan had 14 but something like that but the game was well in hand and almost over Uh and so with 48 points Woody goes for two Uh and he gets it so we win 50 to 14 afterwards they said to Woody why did you go for two points and Woody said because I couldn't go for three Mm-hmm. See, so? and so Woody was obviously of the mentality that their big rival was Michigan, yeah. and so he had to go overboard. But I mm-hmm. think that what he said that day brought more laughs than it did agreement. Mm. I think most people felt, you know, you've won the game, you don't yeah. need to rub it in. And there's another reason for it. Yeah. The shoe's going to be on the other foot someday. And you're going to be the, losing. the next time you're going to be losing it. And as a person who's been on both sides mm-hmm. more times than I like on the losing side, I don't like to have them keep rubbing it in when I'm losing. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't like to do it. I try not to do it when I'm winning. So I, I, I don't go along with what Kobe's thinking about. I do think it's important for Kobe, who is one of the best basketball players of all time, mm-hmm. to... Uh, stress the importance of doing your best mm-hmm. because I think that's what I would take away from what Kobe did. He he was a phenomenal player and he he would always to the last minute play his hardest. He would. He would. And I, you know, that's not like you said this like a ruthless mentality. That's not something necessarily you have or or I have either, but that's when you look at a lot of different winners like Kobe or like Bill Belichick, who would probably throw his own child underneath a moving bus to get a Super Bowl. You know, a lot of these people are ruthless. Kobe, Michael Jordan, those types of winners who literally nothing else matters in their life other than winning and competing. And maybe that's sick or obsessive. Maybe that's too far. Maybe that's too much to teach his daughters. But I I am happy that Kobe is now becoming a champion for women's basketball as well and trying to train his daughters to have that same sort of killer instinct that he had. I mean, that's why he called himself the Black Mamba, Poison the Snake, because he wanted to really kill and embarrass his opponents and not just say, oh, you get a turn, then I get a turn. He really wanted to make him go home crying and never want to play again. Vince Lombardi, who you know is... Mm-hmm, good friend of ar- argue, Yeah, you and he were buddies. <laughs> uh, arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time, mm-hmm. Green Bay Packers. He was the one who, who was famous for saying winning isn't everything, it's the only thing, mm-hmm. which is what you're saying. Yeah. But then my friend Woody Hayes, who I just mentioned, mm-hmm. who you would think might agree with that, didn't agree with it. He said winning isn't everything, trying to win is everything. Mm. So 
Uh, I like that much better. Yeah. I, th- I think effort is more important than results. I yeah. think if you try your hardest and then you win or you lose, hey, as they say, you've left it off all on the field. Yeah. And I do think it up until now has been more of a men's thing. You're talking about women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's important to the extent that Kobe is highlighting the fact that it's time for women to be on equal playing field yeah. in terms of recognizing they have the same athletic uh, desire to win and such as men do. Now you're talking about the shoe being on the other foot. You, like I said, great father, great grandfather. Imagine if you were the coach of that team getting crushed by 90 points, whatever it was, 101 to 12. What would, what would you do as that coach? What would you say to pep up your team? Would you just say, let's just go back in the locker room and just forfeit what would you do to – would you pump your team up? Would you say, let's run for the hills and just go to Dairy Queen? As as a coach of the losing team? Of the team? losing team getting crushed. Well, I would tell them again, it's important to try your hardest. Yeah. Now, what I would hope is when a situation like that develops, mm-hmm. that you start putting in your second team and your third team. But where you run into real difficulty is – you can't tell your second and third team, don't try your hardest, because that kind of contradicts the effort idea that I mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. So if it turns out that you run up to 90 points and you're using all your players. Your backups. I'm okay. All your backups, mm-hmm. right. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But leave your first team in? Yeah. No, don't do that. So as the coach of the losing team, <laughs> what would you say to them? Would you try to encourage them? Would you say, wow, you guys really suck. This is a good reason you guys need to work harder and come back next time. What would be your words back in the locker room as the coach of that losing team to, to your players? I would say to them, assuming this is true, I am so proud of you because even at the very end, when we knew we were getting beaten badly, uh-huh. you never gave up. Mm-hmm. And to never give up is far more important than the outcome of the game. Yep. So I would try, and I'd say, hey, we've learned how far we have to come now. Yeah. Uh, we're going to we're going to get better, and it's you don't get better playing teams that are worse than you are. So we're going to get better. This is going to be a positive experience for us. And believe me, I feel badly because I'm your coach, so I take some of the responsibility for the outcome. But they got to be as good as they are through hard work and for effort and for dedication, all these things I try to make positive as far as what they did. Uh-huh. And that's that gives us a goal to try to achieve sometime in the future. That's great. And that's why you're a winner because you have that positive growth mentality of even when you find a str- struggle, failure, you always look at what's a way that I can turn this into an opportunity for myself to learn, get better, and and next time come back and, and be proud of what I did, right? Indeed. I think the toughest part of life, David, is not losing, but it's coming back after you've lost. Uh-huh. It's getting back on your feet. Because sometimes you say, oh, to heck with it. Uh, I'm not going to be able to make it or I'm not good. Yeah. So coming back is difficult. Yeah. Know? And the, the kids on that team that lost 90 to nothing, for them to come back, I would let them know, boy, this is, this is what we're going to find out what you're made out of. Because if you can come back after this, you can come back after anything. That, How about that one? Absolutely. was crazy you you're gonna praise kobe for beating up on these little well all right
back up. So speaking of getting back on your feet, like we were just talking about, we moved to Southern California, the San Jose Earthquakes soccer team. Don't know if you are familiar with those guys. I'm not. You're correct. Didn't know they had a team. (laughs) (laughs) And their forward, Chris Wondolowski, he got a red card last game. That means he had to sit out the following game. Instead of sitting out, not attending, maybe watching the game from home, watching the game from the locker room, he decided to watch the game with the fans in the stadium, in the bleachers with the fans, and he did not have his shirt on. He was waving his shirt above his head, getting... Uh, crunk, as the young folks say, with the fans. Is this unprofessional or is this a great way of him showing his vulnerability, showing his connection with the fans? Where do you side on this? Like a good lawyer, I could argue both sides on that one. I think <laughs> I think it's better for him to be with the crowd and let him be visible than mm-hmm. to go back and sulk in the locker room, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah, I guess. I just, you know, when you see him, you know, maybe waving a shirt over his head, you start to wonder how many beverages did this gentleman have? You know, is that really taking care of his body? He should be an athlete. Maybe he should be back in like a cryogenic chamber or something like <laughs> really healing his healing his, his tissue, deep tissue. Is, is he waving as uh, kind of trying to spur his team on or yeah. is he trying to bring attention to himself? No, he was just, you know, fitting in with the group, yelling yeah, well, and he's with part his shirt off. Of, I think that's fantastic. I think he's trying to show, hey, I'm I'm part of you and then maybe encourage his fans and the team's fans mm-hmm. that, hey, this will help you maybe come back to the next game. Let's face it, his main goal is to be successful, Absolutely. To, to, to get well paid. And to have a strong fan base, and it sounds to me like that could help strengthen the fan base. He's he's at least making himself visible. You're right. I think it's one of those things, the fans love it. If I was the coach, I would say, you're not doing that again. Because all it takes (laughs) is one drunk fan to trip on top of you, break your ankle. We've seen these fans out in these games. Obviously, I love the fans. I love all of our I'm Open family here and around the world. But... You know, we've seen some folks getting rambunctious at games, maybe tripping onto each other, maybe accidentally spilling a beer onto you. You never know what could happen. An accident could happen at any moment, and uh, somebody could slip, hurt his knee, hurt his toe, and then he might have to miss even more time. Well, I agree that he shouldn't be doing things that put his physical being at risk, but what you were saying is he's swinging a towel around unless he snaps somebody in the face or something. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me like... That's a that's not a terrible risk to take. Well, I mean, let's I, face it. There's a there's a risk walking down the stadium steps. So I mean, anything can happen. You're absolutely right. And I didn't even think of hitting somebody in the face with the towel. He <laughs> definitely could have done that and gotten sued. The team could have gotten sued because your player hit me in the face with this towel or his shirt. I mean, maybe they got whiplash in their face. Well, that's true. And <laughs> you know, you don't know. There's there's no sure thing. Mm-hmm. And so let's just play that out. Mm-hmm. He 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 hit somebody in the face with the towel. And she sues him. What's that going to do? It's going to bring a lot of publicity. Mm-hmm. And it may end up being headlines. And somebody like me who never heard of the team before yeah. would say, hey, this is an interesting guy. And, you know, it, it won't hurt necessarily. Uh, it will hurt if he intentionally does things. And so to me, accidents happen. I think most people are tolerant that, hey, things do happen. And if the guy's swinging his towel and happens to hit somebody, I didn't mean to do it. Now, it all depends on you know, the the context in which it's done. 
Well, Bob, I got to say, you really know how to argue your way out of a corner. <laughs> you might want to consider being a law professor or something like that if you ever have time. Oh, anyone who does that's out of their mind, Dave. <laughs> oh, you, boy. You, I'm you, kidding. I'm you, kidding. You, yeah, you, you wouldn't want to spend your time doing that, would you? Huh? No, of course not. It not, sounds like a big waste of time. Not when you can be a heating specialist like I am. <laughs> so we were talking about MLS, the San Jose Earthquakes, one of their – I don't know if they're direct rivals, but it's another team that's battling with them in the MLS. Of course, the Columbus crew right here in the great state of Ohio, the Buckeye State, where we are right now. Now, there was a whole uh, sort of debate. I don't know if debate is the right word, but semi-crisis controversy around the crew. Uh Are they going to leave? There was threats that they were going to move and go to Oklahoma City. They were asking the city to build them a brand new arena for the team. Now, we've seen this time and time again. We saw this in Seattle. That was why the Supersonics left Seattle, where the team basically says to a city or to a state, if you guys do not pay for us to have a new arena, we are leaving the city. Is that – do you think that is like a public good that citizens should want to be taxed for to pay for a new arena so they get to appreciate going there? Or do you think that's sort of holding the fans hostage in a way by forcing them to pay for – a new baseball or football or basketball stadium through their own taxes and hard on hard earned money. Yes. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> yes, to both of them. All right. I think you could argue both sides of that, David. Mm-hmm. I think you could say that having a sports team helps the the city in terms of its image. It brings yeah. people here from outside. And so those who say, I don't want to pay for it, whether you're benefiting from it to the extent that maybe you you have more excitement, you have more hotels, more restaurants, more things going on because you have the sports. So you mentioned this, Mm -hmm. the soccer. We have a baseball team here that which is uh, that plays in Huntington Park. Well, what what the Columbus baseball team did, and maybe this is a direct uh, response to how you can get yourself out of this, is like the Green Bay Packers. They're owned by the city. Mm-hmm. And then the city is not going to have to worry about, is the team going to pick up and move because it's their team. It's your home team. They're not going anywhere. But I think when things like this are put to a vote uh, and, the pe- and the people voted down, then I think that shows a lack of support for the team. And to tax those people who vote against it, I have some issues with that. I don't think that's fair to the people. And it's, often it's the higher-ups who are making the decision, then you get taxed for something you didn't want. And like you're saying, you know, there's very wealthy guys that own a lot of these teams, right? Why can't yeah. they just – they're making money off the team. It's a business, right? Owning a owning a sports franchise is like owning any other business. You make money. You pay your employees. You have revenue based on people attending the games, people buying merchandise, why 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 don't the owners consider that to be an investment in their own business and just say I'm going to be the one to pay for the new stadium because I'm the one making money off of this team? Well, that's a good argument. And I think uh, you have a lot of owners who could certainly afford to play that pay their players more, but the other side of the coin is you've got players too that are making big dollars, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and so you you hear about these salaries of the of the uh, recently announced uh, contracts, five years, $100 million mm-hmm. and such, you say, my gosh, they're being well compensated. But as far as the owner's concerned, everything's relative to the owner who's making billions, $100 million isn't that much. To the average guy on the street, 
100 million is a big number. So I think the big picture is, is this team presence in your city a positive? Is this something that really benefits your city? And it's kind of hard to quantify what a benefit is. You know, I think it's a benefit if it helps the quality of life to most of the people there. And yeah. So, and so, uh, and it puts you on the map. I mean, like, I live in Columbus, Ohio, as you know. Mm-hmm. When people talk about Ohio State, most people think about Ohio State football. Yes. Uh, the university likes to talk about scholar-athletes, not athlete-scholars. Mm-hmm. But from a national perspective, football is what really puts Columbus on the map. You're on national television. You Sometimes you're in the national playoffs. Uh, whenever uh, we have a game in Columbus, they show downtown and all everything going on. So I do think there's some big advantages to have pro teams in your city. Mm-hmm. Now, from the owner side, you know, you have – Owners who, I think, kind of milk the city, who just are not interested in paying much for their players and try to take in all the TV rights and mm-hmm. such. And you have other owners who I think are more compassionate and generous who share the profits with their the players. I mean, the argument is without the players, the owners wouldn't have anything. Yeah, so in terms of that owner-player dynamic, it seems like in in the past fans sided more with the owners and now fans are starting to see maybe the perspective of the players a little bit more. For example, one of our scholar athletes, like you mentioned, Ezekiel Elliott, he was just in the middle of sort of a standoff with his owner for the Cowboys where he was holding out, he wanted a new contract. And I feel like five or 10 years ago, the fans would have been really pissed off at a player like him or like we saw with last year, Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon also was holding out this year. I feel like in the past, fans would have been really pissed off at those guys for not willing to play and side with the owner. But it does seem like in the last few years, fans have started to come around a little bit more and support players if they hold out for more money or, for example, decide to leave teams. Like the first time LeBron left Cleveland, people were really mad at him. But the second time LeBron left Cleveland people didn't seem to be quite as mad at them as the first time. Do you think fans are starting to come around and realize and sort of support players more rather than teams and say, hey, you know, if you want to wait till you get more money, you should be able to? I do, David. And I think, first of all, the players all support each other. You know that. I mean, mm-hmm, of course. When, when Zeke Elliott was holding out, all the other players said, I'm on your side. I'm Because they, they were probably thinking, hey, it could, it could be I instead of you. I mean, just sure. easily. But as far as the fans, the the guy who you know has struggles to to be able to pay for the ticket to the game, and sees these guys making millions, I think what's changed is through TV and modern technology, you relate to the player much more. You see you see him on TV, and you feel like you know the guy. People feel like they know Zeke Elliott. They've never seen him in person many times. but And they hear him talking. And so I think the average fan is beginning to realize that they're making these huge salaries. But then they see, again, through TV, players who've been great, but now they're uh, in wheelchairs or they their legs have gone. And sometimes they have head injuries. They realize that there's a real, sh- real brief life, a short 
uh, shelf career, life yeah. career to especially running backs. Yep. And so I I think some of that maybe is the fact that through marketing and publicity, people are realizing, hey, let the guy make the money. And there are only a few Zeke Elliott's out there. Yeah. And the other part of it is, if you're a big cowboy fan, you're thinking, hey, I need Zeke. Without Zeke, we're not going to win. Yeah. And it gets back to the earlier discussion. Yeah. I want to be a winner. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I need Zeke to be a winner. Absolutely. Packers. Now, you mentioned it is owned by the city, so you're not the only owner, but you are a part owner of the Green Bay Packers. Do you mind sharing how did that come about and how are you feeling about this season with all the moves that you've been making? Uh, do you feel confident with the way you've assembled the roster for this season? I do. Now, when I was uh, with Aaron Rodgers yesterday having lunch, we discussed who we thought would be the best coach. Yeah, sure. And uh, we we threw out some names, and I felt, you know, I should give Aaron the final word. Yeah. Because it's so important to have that relationship mm-hmm. between coach and player. And so uh, I let him make the final decision. So it that's was why t- I, It was tough yeah. for me to do that, because I'm used to being in control. Sure. But I let him make that decision. So that's how you guys a, ended up on Matt LaFleur as the That's coach. exactly right. Sure. He wanted Matt. I had a different guy but yeah. uh, anyway and I'm I'm backing him I mean we are so tight that mm. he backs me whenever you know I've been buying a lot of sports teams lately, yeah and he backs me uh, I did not buy the Yankees by the way which yeah. I know is your team yeah uh, I didn't I, I thought maybe they were overpriced but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but with the Green Bay Packers I'm proud to be an owner yeah uh, not the owner but an owner, an owner yeah. yeah an owner Okay. So how? So and I know it's really beautiful the way you and Aaron do do back each other and your matching outfits that you sometimes have and stuff. It's just it's really a cute relationship you guys have. Now, how how did that uh, come about in terms of your ownership? Um, in terms of becoming an owner of the team, how'd you work that out? Well, I guess I have to be truthful with you. Yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a guy who has everything, everything he wants, everything he needs, and so. Uh, one of my four kids, who was trying to get on the good side of me, uh, for a birthday gift, bought me a share of the Green Bay Packers. So you can just go and buy a share. Any public person can buy one. Yeah, it's traded over publicly traded company. Yeah. And he went a step further and got the Green Bay Packers shirt and put my name on the back of it. And it's now framed in my office. So when people come in, they ask me about the picture. I said, well, I just happen to own the Green Bay Packers. So. I'm a cheesehead. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, obviously Bob's a pretty impressive guy, but to all the members of the I'm Open family out there, you too could be a co-owner of the Green Bay Packers yourself. It's a publicly traded company. That's something that's really cool about the Packers is they are owned by the city of Green Bay, and anybody can sort of buy in and have a part ownership stake in the team. That's right. And, David, doesn't it get back to your earlier discussion? Obviously, Green Bay has bought into the importance and the benefit and the love for their team, they really, they really uh, they exemplify what is, you want the situation to be. I would imagine there are very few Green Bay Packers residents mm-hmm. who say, 
get rid of the team. No. No, I don't think so. So are you feeling confident in your Packers this year? You think you got another you think Aaron Rodgers uh, next Super Bowl title is coming this year? The team is looking pretty strong. Well, I think Aaron Rodgers ranks among the top 3 or 4 quarterbacks uh, mm-hmm. in the in the in the pros. I am not totally confident after last week when the Eagles yeah, Thursday held, night. held them Thursday night. Yeah, when the Eagles held them uh, from scoring at the end of the game and it was as I recall, in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it and, was. and so you kind of ask yourself, looking forward, there's a lot of season left, but should these two teams meet again? I don't know. The, yeah. the Eagles are still looking strong. They are. Well, you know, good luck to you and your Packers for the rest of the season. Obviously, you're, you've really got the guys out there working hard for you, and they believe in you as an owner. You believe in them as a player, <laughs> as players. So uh, that that's the relationship you guys need to have to have a successful season. Thank you, David. Now, I, I'm just wondering if they asked me to give them a pep talk before the next game. Do you have any ideas of what I might be Yeah, thinking? sure. So I would just say... Stop embarrassing me out there. Okay. I'm the owner of this freaking team, and I'm very powerful. What do you guys think? You, why? What gives you the right to embarrass me? Do you what think? Do you, you think? Right? Do you think some of the players are not putting out as much as they could and should? Uh, yeah. I okay. mean, hello. Okay. They all. If you're not winning, you're yeah. not trying. I okay. think that's what I. That's what I sometimes say. Okay. And uh, <laughs> it's. I. I just think. Get out there and play. We had the ball at the one-yard line twice, and twice they failed on fourth down to go. Obviously, they they can't get the running game going. Yeah. I don't know if you should have let Rodgers pick Matt LaFleur as the coach because when you throw it four times consecutively from the one-yard line, that makes you wonder, I mean, where where, where are these guys' tactics coming from? You You're, know? Right. You're right. If you notice during the game, Green Bay was having trouble running the ball. They have been. They have been. They, they need a good running back. Yeah. I w- wish we could get Zeke on our team. Well, somebody who's been having a lot of trouble this NFL season has been Nelson Aguilar of the Philadelphia Eagles. He has been forced into a more prominent role because they've had some injuries on the team, and he's a wide receiver who's been getting a lot of action now because some other guys have been injured. Also, last weekend in Philadelphia, there was a, an apartment building fire. Very sadly. Uh, And it was the same evening, like, after the Eagles had played. So a local hero from Philadelphia actually saved a lot of children in the fire. And after, they asked him about the experience, how he saved the children. And he said, this was his quote. The gentleman was named Hakeem Laws, and he's he's a Philadelphia citizen. And he said, I see a guy hanging out the window, screaming that his kids were in there. My man just started throwing babies out the window. We were catching him, unlike Aguilar and his mishaps. So he took time, even as he was uh, being celebrated for saving babies from a burning building, to still roast Nelson Aguilar for dropping passes. Was this inappropriate, or does this guy kind of get a free pass to roast Nelson Aguilar since he just saved a bunch of babies from a burning building? Does he kind of have free reign to um, insult whoever he wants to? Well, I suppose the uh, politically correct statement is don't ever insult anybody, but I think I'm going to cut him a little slack. Mm -hmm. Saving lives is far more important than how he maybe badmouths a a receiver. So uh, I'll give him a pass on that. You'll give him a pass. I'll give him a pass and say thank you. Sounds to me like he was really 
committed to saving these little babies' lives. So I'd rather focus on that. And but, obviously the guy's got some skills. The Eagles might want to consider signing him up. If Aguilar's having so much trouble and this guy can catch babies out of a burning building, they might want to sign this man up to play wide receiver next week. Um, or they may want to decide instead of using footballs, use babies. Use Throw babies, throw babies. exactly. That, Hand that, off a baby. There you go. Hand <laughs> off. Except you got to be careful. It could bite you when you well, hand it off. So. The thing is that might, that might <laughs> encourage Aguilar to not drop drop not continue with all these drops you'll uh, really focus on catching that baby maybe more than you would with a football sure. now i just think it's comical and i think it kind of goes to the fandom of philadelphia they're known to be really intense fans that even in this moment the city uh, of brotherly the love city of brotherly love oh and goodness. beat you up if you wear the wrong shirt in their yeah. city as well <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh so i do think it's comical that even in this moment of like sort of I guess not tragedy, but crisis for the city. Yes. The guy's still thinking about, man, the Eagles suck. I can't believe they didn't pull out that win, even in his most heroic moment. He still takes him his one kind of five minutes of fame yeah. to make a jab at the Eagles. Even though, like you said, they, they're doing okay. They had a lot, little bit of a rough start to the season, but they should be fine. They should yes. be in a solid position to go for the playoffs. Well, I think, David, when it comes to sports, there are fanatics, mm -hmm. as you know. And this guy must be one. I don't know him personally, but yeah. the fact that he's still thinking about the Eagles when he's catching babies out the window, uh, it shows that that's important to him. Yeah. And I think we get so emotional. It's like when you see these screaming fans at the game, are they there just to let off steam or mm -hmm. they really care about the team or they, they kind of have this feeling that they represent me out there on the team. They have a vicarious uh, attitude of, of its uh, yeah. reflection of of me and our city, but yeah. but I I I do think we in many cases we carry this way too far. Mm -hmm. uh, they get so excited, and I think alcohol adds to it that you were talking about before. Mm -hmm. But this guy this must be a diehard Eagles he fan, and so uh, his mind is still on the Eagles, even though he's saving lives. Absolutely. But I agree with that. And that's something we've talked about before to your last point. That's something we've talked about before here on, on I'm Open Podcast about how fans connect their personal sense of worth or ego to the performance of the team. Yeah. So the easiest example is obviously Patriot fans think we're all second class citizens because the Patriots keep winning Super Bowls. Yeah. And just because you were born in the state of Massachusetts, <laughs> obviously does not make you better than everyone else, but that's what they think. You know, same with you You see Yankee fans probably, which I'll admit, you know, as a Yankee fan, I don't have that mentality, but I will admit I'm sure some Yankee fans do have that mentality. Do you think fans go too far in connecting if their team does well, oh, that, that incre increases my self-worth when really you didn't do anything to contribute to the game at all? You can cheer or you can be sleeping through the game. You can forget the game is on or you can be watching it on TV. The result is not really going to be impacted by what you do as a fan. Well, to your point, David, after a game, sometimes when you're wearing your team's colors, the game's over and fans on the other team will say, hey, you played a great game, didn't you? Well, you didn't, you never didn't play any game. It was your team, but it's as though you represent the team. Now, to your point about New England and sometimes other winning franchises, I think it's much tougher to be a good winner than it is a good loser. Yeah. Uh, when you lose, hey, I think it's okay to get a little teary-eyed and unhappy and grouchy and so forth. That comes with it and moody. 
when you win, to be a good sport is tough. And with I, this is my looking at uh, New England. I'm not. I like to see some of the New England players or Ohio State players. So I'd like yeah. I like to see them do well as far as that's concerned. But I think they have done some things to cause those outside of the state. Uh, to not like them. And I mean, with the spy gate and the fact that Belichick is really not a very uh, a cooperative person when it comes to press release uh, to, to the press and such. I mean, mm. he there's, a, I think, a certain degree of arrogance there. And so it's, I think that gets back to being a real winner, but not not being a good winner, mm-hmm. at least in the eyes of a lot of people. And, and to a certain extent, there might be a little envy there. I mean, yeah. you're jealous of a team that keeps winning and mine doesn't. Yeah. You keep beating on my team. I'm not going to like you so much. Of course. But, again, it's the personality. I think with the Michael Jordan getting back to him, greatest of all time, at least by a lot of people, uh, he didn't go around gloating and saying I'm the best. Others said it about him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference. Uh, when people go around saying, I am the best, like we hear out of Washington these days, mm-hmm. people don't like that for the most part. I think I think people like to feel like I've discovered you're the best rather than be told I'm the best. And it means a lot more when somebody else says it than when you say it, right? Absolutely. When I say I'm very humble or <laughs> I'm very creative, I'm very intelligent. Uh, you're always going to take that with a grain of salt, right? But if somebody else say, if you leave this podcast and say, wow, I just talked to David and he's really a humble and intelligent guy, that carries a lot farther than if I'm waving a sign that says I'm humble and intelligent. People might not quite believe it. Oh, they should believe it, Dave. Oh, okay. Well, in my case, yeah. You are. You are <laughs> probably one of the foremost humble people I know. Oh, thank you so much. I'm surprised I'm not top three, but this, this <laughs> that does connect, though. The, being a good winner does connect back to, you know, our first issue with Kobe Bryant about how, yeah, it's hard to be a good loser and sort of take one on the chin and still keep a good attitude, but it's also hard to be a good winner and not rub it in the other team's face and not sort of bully or, or take it too far and sort of keep yourself level-headed even when your team is really good. Yeah, and you know, when there's competition, I think it makes for a more enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. If you're winning ninety to nothing, you really think you get enjoyment out of scoring a basket. I mean, it'd be like some like a college team playing with third graders. Yeah, th- there's no challenge to it, and so to me, you've taken away the fun of it, and that's why I say, put in all your subs, uh, stop running up the score. Take more time off the clock. You can do that without being obvious. Now, you have to be a little careful because nobody likes to be treated as if, don't ever take away somebody's humility yeah. or, uh, or pride. Don't yeah. ever take someone's pride away. That's humanity. Humanity. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Because if, uh, if you just stop shooting the ball, I don't like that. That's, that's like placating is that the yeah. right word? It's yeah, like, yeah. It's like... Uh, it's, it's almost it's, condescending in a way. That's it. Just, just that's stop what, trying. That's what I'm trying for, condescending. Yeah. Uh, and so you still have to play hard, but you can pass the ball around more mm-hmm. and not shoot quite... Wait to the end of the 30-second clock or whatever to take the a time shot. to take a shot. Wait, you can. there are things you can do without making it obvious and without even putting the other team down further.
someone, Bob, who used to live also in this state, your home state of Ohio, a young man named Kyrie Irving. Yes. So he has now moved on to, uh, well, he moved on to Boston Celtics, and then from there he moved on to Brooklyn, where he is now. And the latest news coming from Kyrie Irving is that he broke his face. I don't know if you saw this. I did not. Now, he's been telling us all that the world is flat, but now his face is flat. Oh, my goodness. So the joke is on him, and he was playing pickup basketball just last week, and he actually broke his face. Oh, jeez. Do you think, as a basketball player, you should not play pickup basketball in the offseason because this type of thing might happen? Now, hopefully he's ready in time for the season, but, you know, who knows? It's not like you can do rehab on your face. You just kind of have to wait for it to get some surgery or something and wait for it to heal. I mean, do you think... Do you think guys should who play basketball, football, whatever sport might be, should continue to play in the offseason and really push themselves? Or this kind of goes back to our point with the guy watching with the fans and getting ready with the fans. Are they putting themselves at risk for when we actually need them to be out on the field and performing? I think you have to be careful during the offseason. Everybody is entitled to have some fun in their life. So all practice is not something that maybe that's fun. But if you're playing on the playground where you can get hurt, you you are a valuable commodity. A guy like uh, Kyrie's making twenty thirty million a year. Yep. You, I I don't think you should take that risk on a playground. If you're in a gym, you know anything could happen in practice where you get injured. So, but you're doing that really to tone your skills rather mm-hmm. than just to hang around with guys. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be enthused about it. now. Can I as an owner tell him you can't do that? That's that's kind of hard. I, mm-hmm. We do have contracts telling players what they can or cannot do. Now, I did, speaking of Kyrie, I did read just yesterday where he is going to help Kevin Durant so that uh, he Kevin gets a, a, a break when it comes to the media because yeah. Kyrie is going to kind of be his bodyguard. That's it, it, show, it shows you that Kyrie is a good guy, at least reading the article, yeah. and is going to be a good teammate, uh, although... You know, as he might argue, when he was with LeBron, they had their differences. They did. But getting back to playing on the playground, David, I think that's, you know, it's like, is it okay for him to go skydiving? Yeah. I, I don't, do it after your career's over. Yeah. And uh, it's hard in this case because Kyrie <laughs> was playing basketball with other friends and teammates of him, of his, of his. It wasn't an official practice, but it was with other high-level basketball players. And he loved basketball, so... Like you're saying, it's hard to say you get paid to play basketball. That's your life. Don't play basketball. He loves it, and he wants to practice and get better. So, But you said he was on a playground. It wasn't you? on a playground. It was a pickup game, but it was with it was, an, it was an organized game with his friends, and it wasn't with random strangers. It was with his friends and, and teammates and other high-level players. So did he get hurt by other players mm-hmm. or falling down? By other players, an elbow, I think, to the face. Ooh, okay. So that's really painful, but it's also... Like you mentioned before with the injury issue with the soccer game, which we keep coming back here in circles to these topics because they are all interconnected, but you could get injured taking your bagel out of the toaster and burn your finger, right? Or you could get injured walking out to your car and slip on the way to pick up your newspaper. And so it's hard to know when, when you might come upon these risks or when something might, you know, hurt you or affect your, your physical health. I think the odds or chances of something like this happen, increase uh, immensely 
when you're in a real competitive environment. Yeah. So if he's playing and guys are throwing elbows around, uh, I would say save that. You know, it's kind of like when teams practice today, <clears throat> the football games are uh, every weekend. During the practice, they don't practice quite as hard because they don't want to don't want to have injury. But yet you can't ignore practicing because you have to stay in shape. So for Kyrie, he wants to stay in shape. Mm-hmm. But I I think maybe you have to tone it back a little bit. And here again, I don't know the circumstances, but if they're throwing elbows around, maybe they're taking the game more seriously than they should on the off season, recognizing that you could mess up the whole season mm-hmm. itself. And I think that's a that's a give and take that all yeah. teams kind of struggle with of like how hard do we push it in practice? Yes. Considering that a guy can get injured in practice as well. Yeah. And lately I think we've been seeing like, you know, with, with our Ohio State Buckeyes this season, the first couple games were basically warm up preseason games. Correct. The way and that's the way they kind of treat it. They kinda of go maybe sixty, seventy percent speed in practice. They don't really tackle each other like you said. Sometimes they practice without helmets, just kinda of run through the plays but don't physically touch each other. And that's sort of a give and take that all teams are working with in terms of like how hard do we push it in practice so we're ready for the games, but also not to push it too hard because stuff like this could always happen. And then the guy isn't able to play in the game. So I think that's just something that I know technology is getting better. The research is getting better about how to protect these guys' body in terms of recovering, in terms of injury prevention. But it's also impossible to predict. And I, I think actually Coach Belichick, we already mentioned before, the coach of the Patriots, said when they were asking him if he was going to play one of his players, he said, you tell me which play he's going to get injured on, and then I'll hold him out of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And it's impossible. Yeah. Even if it's, oh, well, Justin Fields has a chance of getting injured, or Aaron Rodgers has a chance of getting injured, you tell me which play he's going to get injured on, and I'll make sure he doesn't play that play. But it's impossible to know. And then you hear about guys getting injured on jet skis or getting into the shower. Well, Like you said, maybe they shouldn't be riding jet skis, but... Cutting, cutting up vegetables or getting into the shower or dropping a wine glass. And you never know. It's, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You're absolutely right. I, I go back, I guess, to the level of intensity. Mm-hmm. If it was just an accidental elbow, you're right. That could, ha- that could happen. And it could happen in practice. Mm-hmm. You, and you can't, it's hard to tell people don't try your hardest. It is hard. Yeah. Now, Kyrie is an incredible three-point shooter. And that's one thing the two of you guys have in common. You are, like I mentioned in the introduction, probably the best three-point shooter I know. How did you hone your skills as a three-point shooter? What's your technique uh, so I can copy that? It's too late to copy it, David. Uh, it happened when I was real little when uh, nobody would play with me. So I went outside with a basketball and kept – we had a basketball court – or net in our mm-hmm. driveway and uh, I would play for hours on end and, by yourself well by myself or with neighbors uh-huh, okay and but I did it almost every day and even that carried through high school through college through work I came home you know on weekends neighbors would come over and so I want to say I'm the best three-point player but I'll bet I've taken as many three-point shots as anybody and to the extent that practice makes perfect uh, I'm still very imperfect, but I, I've played a lot. And mm-hmm. so I'd say that's, that's true in almost any sport, I think. If, mm-hmm. uh, when you look at these protégés, these athletes 
whose kids are now doing so well. Which we have a lot of them today. Oh, yeah. yeah. But when do they, some of them start when they're two and three years old. Yeah. Tiger Woods is an example. I think yes. he, he was he was shooting par golf when, by the time he could walk. I mean, yeah. and so I think a lot of that comes from starting early. Yeah, it's the old, I think Malcolm Gladwell is the one who came up with the 10,000 hour sort of concept that you need 10,000 hours to become an expert in anything. And that's, you maybe have had 10,000 hours of three-point shooting. And I probably did. And the, here's what's really changed from the time I was born back. Uh, we've talked about when the Indians came to Ohio. And, and, uh, <laughs> the Cleveland Indians? That's who I mean. That's good. Uh, and uh, what were we talking about? About <laughs> practice makes perfect. Yes. <laughs> practice makes perfect. And I've completely forgot my train of thought, except they didn't come on a train. They came on uh, horseback. Sure, and such. of course. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, for practice makes perfect. Yeah. This just reminded me of another story, which I'd love to ask you about before we get into our final segment of the, of the episode. The time that President Barack Obama came to Ohio, and some people were concerned that you tried to poison the president. Is that true? I know that you tried to give him a gift. They didn't let you give him the gift. Okay, here's what you're referring to. I was very, very fortunate in that when Barack Obama came to Columbus, uh, he spoke at Capital University, which is where I attended. And I was invited to meet him. And the security, needless to say, was so tight. Ohio State is known as what state? The Buckeye State. Yes. You know what a Buckeye is? It is a nut. That's very hard to crack. Yes, sir. Okay. So I had a Buckeye in my pocket to give to the president, to wish him luck. To me, it seems like a very thoughtful gift. I would think so. And on brand with the vote. Yes, and so I'm going through security, and I was, I should have just said, when they said, do you have anything on you? I said, well, I have a Buckeye. Mm -hmm. And so I said, let me see it, and I showed it to him, and they confiscated it. They took it away from me. I don't know where that Buckeye is today. But I anyway, I did get to see the, the president, along with a couple others, and I said to him, I'm so sorry I couldn't bring you my Buckeye, but I wish you luck. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's a little ironic. So so some people think that the Buckeye mascot is not intimidating, but little do they know that that nut is very hard to crack. And when you do crack it, it's poisonous. Ooh. So maybe that's why they didn't want you to give it to Barack Obama. But I think this man is very intelligent. Obviously, you are. So is so is President Obama. I think he would have known not to try to eat the Buckeye nut. Well, so maybe he would have. Now, here's why, David. <laughs> he could have because we're known for little chocolate Buckeyes mm, that yeah. have peanut butter. Center. Oh, I love them. You don't have Aren't to tell they? Me. Well, yeah. Oh boy, you've had you've had one or two in your. <laughs> you've had a couple in your day, haven't uh -huh. you? Okay, so he could have thought, "Hey, this looks like a peanut chocolate Buckeye," but I don't think he would have had time to eat it. He might have after his speech, but then we would have heard his speech, yeah. so he wouldn't have to worry about the eating the Buckeye at that point. Yeah, and I just think I understand the security's there to protect him, but. I wish, obviously, you were there as a fan, not with the intention of poisoning Barack Obama with a Buckeye nut. Obviously, he's a smart guy as well. Once he even, even, even if he got to the point where he did think it's chocolate, where obviously, if you've seen a Buckeye before, they do not 
They, you can tell they're not chocolate. Um, even if he was so silly to think that maybe it was chocolate, when he put it in his mouth, he immediately would realize, boy, this is not chocolate or peanut butter. And then he would no. probably spit it out of his mouth. Or he'd say, you know, this is really hard candy. This chocolate's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, well, I, I don't think he would have eaten it. He, he is a uh, But I will tell you, I don't want to brag about how smart I am, but I did tell him, you're going to carry Ohio. And you were right, weren't you? Yes, I was right. And he did carry Ohio. And he needed Ohio. He so. needed it big time. Yeah. So. I just wish the security guards would have given him the benefit of the doubt that he wouldn't have eaten the Buckeye. Because he could have kept that as a great memory from, from when he did carry Ohio. From when you correctly predicted that he was going to carry Ohio. And it happened. It came to pass, right? So, David, you know, life is filled with disappointments. Uh, one of my all-time pleasures was being able to shake Barack Obama's hand, and one of my disappointments is not being able to give him a Buckeye. So both things happen in this in the space of an hour. I'm open family. As we all know, there's something we have to do every single episode before we say goodbye. That is to honor our Mask Off Performer of the Week. That goes to someone who has revealed something new about themselves this week and taken their mask off. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be bad. It just means that we have learned something new about them this week. And they have taken their mask off for the public. Of course, as we all know, this segment is dedicated to the one and only King of Atlanta, Future. Thank you so much, Future, for all that you've done for us. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Future. Mask on. Fuck it, mask on. Mask on. Fuck it, mask on. So, Bob, this week, our mask off performer. We are sticking with the theme here of the Buckeye State because this man has been in the news a lot. <laughs> Am I supposed to be saying anything? No, no, no. I'm about to tee you up. I'm about to tee you up. You're doing great. This guy has a song called Mask Off, and that was where I got the idea for the segment called Mask Off. So I play his song before the segment because he's a he's an artist that I like, a musical artist I like. Um, his name is Future. So that's the, um, that's the joke of it or whatever. It's not really a joke. It's just I play his. So, Bob. This week, our mask off performer resides also in this great state of Ohio. I am talking about the one, the only, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. Now, my main he man. has taken his mask off. We thought he loved to play football, but we have found out that what he really likes to do is talk smack about other teams more than he actually likes playing football. The Browns, they came into this season with high expectations. They were getting the Super Bowl floats ready. Everybody was betting on them to go to the championship. Everybody was buying their Odell Beckham jerseys. And now, week four is upon us. They are playing the Ravens as we record this. They are playing the Ravens tomorrow. By the time this episode comes out, we will see if they are able to defeat the Ravens. The Ravens have a very strong team this season with Lamar Jackson. They have a hard schedule coming up for the Browns. They've already started off with one win and two losses. Are the Browns... Did they over? Did Baker talk too much? Did he overhype himself before he had he actually had the chance to win any games? Or, or do you like his confidence that he was showing by by talking about everybody and his team and and just getting out there before the season started? Having confidence, David, I think is is good. You need it. confidence in yourself, confidence in your team. The thing is, it's team, and you can have 
the best players at all 22 positions plus the special team and not have the best team. Mm-hmm. And to me, the team is where Baker fails to really uh, be the type of leader you want because he brings too much attention on himself, I think. Mm-hmm. And to answer your question, coming into the season, whenever you have expectations, you're going to turn things completely around. You're going to be a great team. First of all, that means everyone else is aiming for you. Mm-hmm. And so the games, some of the games you won because teams overlooked you, they're not going to overlook now. But I think it's clear that it was overhyped. And he hasn't been there before. And you, it's, it's rare that you go from basement to penthouse overnight. Very few teams do that. You're absolutely right. And I think it's when you start to talk like that, like you mentioned, Bob, you bring attention to yourself. The Ravens have already come out this week. Obviously, they're division rivals. They do not like each other anyway. And they've already come out and said, we're sick of hearing them. We're sick of hearing them run their mouths. We're here to teach these guys a lesson. Everybody's overlooking us. And the Ravens have already been a good team. They were in the playoffs last year. And they say, and now we're in the playoffs last year. We won the division and people are already assuming the Browns are going to crush us. We want to teach those guys a lesson. That's why I think the Ravens are going to win tomorrow because they are actively pissed off. Like, wow, you guys are the attention-seeking drama queens. We, we're going to teach you guys a lesson. Do you think that he brought that upon them with, with his talking? or do you think Absolutely he brought yeah. it. And, and I think without that, Maybe the Ravens are looking two weeks from now. I don't know who they play, but mm-hmm. maybe they're looking somebody. They're not going to overlook the Browns, like you say. Nobody's overlooking them no. this year. But here's what else happens. When he says how great we are and the expectations are there in the playoffs, now there's a spotlight on them. And now you see some of the flaws. And it's coming out that Baker is not quite as accurate a passer as people thought he was, at least the games I've seen him play. Mm-hmm. He's over. He hasn't been a uh, Brady Rogers type quarterback mm-hmm. up till now oh. and as you know uh, being a pro sports follower yeah the quarterback is the key to your team well the quarterback is the key i find it ironic personally i i'm not going to pretend to be uh totally unbiased here i'm a giants fan and i'll admit i'm i have my fans i'm a buckeye fan i'm a giants fan baker was lo- talking some trash about my guy, Danny Jones, the best quarterback in the history of the world, who just came in last week, <laughs> torched the 40 fantasy points, winning rushing touchdown the last week. Baker was talking about, I don't know why they drafted this guy. He stinks. He's go ahead and win something. Who would you rather have right now, Baker or, or, or Dan Jones? Because, I mean, look at the way Dan Jones has been playing. Why, why does he have to try to bully, talk about other people? He was talking about, oh, Odell's so glad he left the Giants. Why does he have to keep talking trash about the Giants? Just focus on your own team. That's the way Baker is. And I, I want to tell you, as an Ohio State fan, uh, he was on our enemies list when <laughs> Oklahoma beat Ohio State uh, the year after we beat them. And he plants the Oklahoma flag on the block O at, at midfield. Little did he know that we play on turf, yeah. so you cannot plant the flag and just bounced off. But that's neither here nor Besides there. Besides for that, who would have known at that time he was going to be the Cleveland Browns quarterback and it was counting on all the Columbus as well as the other mm-hmm. Ohio residents to be on his team. The, and it points out with Dan Jones, who nobody knew, expectations were so low for him. Mm-hmm. And now... I think the jury's still out. I mean, let's face uh, it. He's played in one game against not yeah. the best team, best okay, defense. Well. But the point is, uh, he is from a personality side. 
it looks like he is the kind of guy you'd like to associate with. And Baker's the kind of guy who can rub you the wrong way. Well, I, regardless, of all the, uh, regardless of all the talking, Baker's obviously a super talented guy, right? And he's Heisman, got a really talented Heisman team. Award Heisman winner. winner. Yeah. But this goes to one of my, you know, one of the tenets that I live my life by is uh, set your expectations very low. So you, it's easy to surpass them. But if you set expectations too high, it's going to be really hard to complete with the high hopes that you have set out for yourself, for your fans, for your supporters, whatever it might be. That's why I think with the like with the Giants, with the Dan Jones situation, we all thought the guy was going to stink. So now that he comes out and wins one game, I am already ready to name all of my kids Dan Jones and get his face tattooed, you know, on my chest because he's totally exceeded our expectations. Whereas with Baker, you set these expectations so high, whereas basically if the Browns don't go to the Super Bowl, it's going to seem like, man, they're not living up to, to what we thought they could do. You don't want to do that, David, because if you do, then everybody's going to try to keep up with the Joneses. And they're going to, ooh, I got you on that <laughs> one. And there are going to be too many Joneses around, okay? Yeah. So, but anyway, he comes across Jones as a real humble, modest guy. Baker is one of these in-your-face guys. He is. And, and to me, Baker's the kind of guy you want on your side, but he also riles you up if you're his opponent, like mm -hmm. you say. So the Ravens, the Ravens are going to give him everything he's asked for. They definitely are. So I think a lot of the fans actually enjoy the way Baker is confident. Obviously, if you're a high-level athlete, you have to be confident in yourself. Yeah. You, or else you're not going to make it to that level. If you're high level at anything, you have to be confident in yourself, or else you're not going to make it to that level of success. And I do think a lot of the fans really enjoy the way he talks a big game and kind of hypes up himself, hypes up the team. But it seems like the times have sort of changed because if you just remember a few years ago, here in this same state, Cincinnati Bengals star Chad Ochocinco, he used to talk all the time. He wouldn't stop running his mouth. But the people didn't really react to him in the same way as they do with Baker. People said the guy needs to shut up. The guy needs to stop talking. Do you think times have changed for now people appreciate guys being more outspoken? Or do you think it's just something about Baker's personality that people like when he kind of runs his mouth? Why did people not like it when Chad Ochocinco would talk and people do like it now when, when, when Baker talks? I think the pendulum swings. Mm -hmm. We get to a place where there's so much celebration that we have we have to draw a penalty on people, on players when they're high-fiving and running around. I think that's going too far. Let them celebrate a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, when the celebration, here's where I draw the line, where the celebration is, in effect, making fun of your opponent, is, is you know, putting your finger in their eye, that stops that. But I, th I think letting the, the players have a little fun is what gives them personality and what the fans like to see. Now, and everyone's different, David. There's some, some guys, you see them score a touchdown, they take the football and they run over and hand it to the uh, ref. Right away. The ref. Yeah. They hand it to the ref. That's the kind of person they are. There are others yeah. who flex their muscles and, and do Dance all the... Do, you know, they have all the... I think they might... Do you, here's a question for you. Yeah. Do you think they practice all those... Fake handshakes and high fives and dances and stuff. I think they definitely do. Okay. I think they definitely do because it seems like the guys are ready to go when they run over and they have it choreographed. It would be impossible yeah. to do a lot of those things without yeah. without practicing, wouldn't it? They do, and they pretend yeah. like they're either swimming across the ocean. And do, but, yeah. but to me, as a fan, 
I like it. Yes. I, th I think that shows some personality, don't you? I agree with you, and this yeah. is why I wish people would have just let Ocho be Ocho, let him yeah. live his life, let him dance, let him yeah. celebrate, do sure. funny stuff. And with Baker, I think the more... You know what? I'm not mad at Baker because why? This is something entertaining, fun for us to talk about. It makes now Brown games. The Browns are playing in prime time basically every week. They're on Monday night football or Sunday night football. <laughs> right. We're seeing them in prime time. It's fun. Whether they win or lose, it is fun because people take it so seriously, like you said, button up, go down to business, just hand the ball off to the referee and go back and sit in the huddle. Sports is entertainment at the end of the day. Absolutely. We are doing this to be entertained. It's basically like another form of reality TV or like or like our musicians, actors that we love. They're entertaining us just in a different way. Obviously, we're very passionate about it and it, you know, raises and drops our emotions like we were talking about before, makes us cry, makes us hug and high five and drink beer or whatever. But we have to remember at the end of the day as seriously as we take it in terms of a passion, in terms of a hobby, it is to entertain us. So when it guys is. are doing this dancing, talking, whatever they might be doing, it's all it all adds to the entertainment value of the game. Again, it's the big picture. You're not hurting anybody. To me, one of the funniest, I think it was Michael Thomas, who hit his watch in the goalpost, and then after he scored, he ran over and pulled his watch out. I think it was he, but it uh -huh. was somebody like that. Oh, it's a, a cell phone, a cell phone. Oh, right. cell phone, yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah. his cell phone out so, but I think those are the kind of things, not only is it fun watching it, but then you'll see it on Sports Center. So it, it, it helps, I think, enliven the game. It makes it more than just, uh, it's, it's become so mechanical now with all the play calling and the mm -hmm. technology having all the background information and knowing it. Mm -hmm. Add a little variety to the sport. Absolutely. And me, you remember, they, everyone takes it so seriously. This is business, this is a job. But. Yeah. They're grown men playing a game for their jobs. We're watching it for fun. We're, you know, wearing our colors and shouting about Falcons or what, you know, Mustangs, whatever team we like. It's it's for fun. It's a You're hobby. Right. It's an entertainment. And I think that's a great reminder, like you were just saying, Bob, that that have fun with it, right? We, have we fun as long as you don't hurt anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's, the, it's theater. That's all. Well, congratulations to Baker for winning our, our Mask Off Award this week. Do you think he's got time still to turn the season around for the Brownies, or do you think, uh, do you think they're stuck in the, in the same rut they've been in for the last uh, 30 years or so? One thing that I'm certain of is uncertainty. So they will not be stuck in the mud. I think uh, they still have an opportunity to have a good season. I think they have a good chance to make the playoffs still. But, uh, you know, it's, it's so unpredictable. Uh, as you know, uh, one deflected pass away from making the playoffs might be the Browns this year. You're right. And with regardless of all the talk, all the distractions, everything going on around the team, we can't deny that this is the most, one of the most talented teams in, in the NFL right now. They've got talent all up and down the roster. Incredible playmakers. Odell Beckham, obviously, Baker Mayfield, uh, Miles Garrett. They've got players all over that team. So... The potential is obviously still there, and that's the reason why people are excited to watch this team on the field. And they would have been hyped up already by adding all these players, by adding Odell Beckham. And and without Baker, I think that's what he's going to realize is he didn't need to say really anything. They already would have been hyped up anyway. He didn't. The only person you didn't mention, David, who's really important is the coach. Yes, sir. And I think the coach on all these pro teams, you mentioned Belichick. It's not an accident that... that the Patriots are so good. It's the relationship Belichick has with Brady. I mean, those who don't like that relationship, well, 
unfortunately, that's the way it is. And the Cleveland coach, who I don't know, I worry about him. I worried about him the very first game when the Browns had 18 penalties. That's a reflection of coaching. So to me, that might have been a tip-off of what the season's going to be. I hope I'm wrong. And I don't want to get too much into X's and O's, but when the coach on fourth and nine decided to run the ball, yeah. oh boy, yeah. what was he thinking? He wasn't. What the heck was he thinking? Fourth and nine? Why would you run it? He wasn't, David. If you were the coach, you know you would have punted. Either punt or pass. Don't run. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, anyway, Bob, thank you so much for being here in studio with us on the road. I'm Open Podcast. I know the I'm Open family all around the world is going to really appreciate this episode. Is there anything you'd like to share with um, our family around the world before we sign off? Yes, David, I'd like to say that I am so proud of you as the number one podcast in the world. To be, you're not quite there yet, Mm -hmm. but you're getting there. And I have every confidence you will get there. And so you are one great guy, and I appreciate being your guest. Well, thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure, and uh, I can't wait to get you back on the show again soon. Uh, Don't invite me unless you want me. Thanks again for listening to I'm Open Podcast. We hope you had almost as much fun as we did. Follow us on Instagram at I'm Open underscore pod for unique and one-of-a-kind sports content you won't find anywhere else. Don't forget to give us a rating, write us a review, and, of course, don't forget to stay open. Thank you.